Last week, uh, we were in Psalm 85. And, and we took a look at ourselves as the sheep and, and how we have been restored by the shepherd. How he brings us back to the flock. And, and this week, we'll be taking a look at the shepherd by reading one of the most famous, you know, most iconic poems in the Psalter, Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. Now, it's universally agreed that Psalm 23 is a Psalm of trust. It expresses God's ability to take care of us, to provide for us, to restore us. It tells us of how he is with us through all things. And as we read the Psalm of David, you know, it is my prayer, it is my hope that God would encourage you to trust in him. To trust in his ability to do what he has promised. To save you. To protect you. To provide for your needs. To be your shepherd. The good shepherd. The best shepherd. Let's read Psalm 23 together. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside Still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, for your word's truth. God, I I pray that you'd speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. I pray this in your name. Amen. So after John 3.16, you know, I'm not sure that there's a more popular verse in the Bible, more popular passage, really, in the Bible than Psalm 23. I mean, it's not really that hard to see why. The psalm overflows with encouragement. It proclaims over and over again how capable God is and how he is at work in our lives. In the first couple verses, we see the proclamations of how God cares for us. How he provides for us, how he, or how in, you know, how he makes me lie down in green pastures, and how in that he's actively seeking out an environment, a place, a situation in which we will thrive, in which we'll be encouraged and challenged and brought into a deeper and closer relationship with him. As we talked about last week, you know, he restores us. He restores our souls. He leaves the 99 and he searches out his his lost sheep and brings them back into the flock. For we were all dead in our transgressions and sins. And we have been restored by the work of Jesus on the cross. Each one of us wandering sheep has been brought back, has been restored. He is our restorer. And he leads us. He guides us. He directs us down paths of righteousness. You know, as Christians, we we have the Holy Spirit living and active in our lives. And that spirit is leading us, guiding us into deeper and more full relationships with God. That path is going to be different for each one of us. 
It's going to be a different journey for each of us, but he takes each of us down that path as we grow in our relationship with God. As we read his word and grow in our faith, he's working on us, sanctifying us, that we might be more like Jesus, that the desires of his heart, the desires of God's heart, would be our desires as well. He leads us in paths of righteousness. You know, all that's like really exciting. Like that's good stuff. That that stuff that encourages us, that we enjoy hearing. You know, we kind of like hanging out in that in that good stuff because it's super encouraging. And that's a place that that we like to be, right? Like that that's a spot that we enjoy being encouraged, being lifted up, being built into. You know, that's we want to hang out there. Because that's, that's a good place. That's where things are happy. That's where we're cheery. That's where it's just, it's, it's a nice, comforting place to hang out. It's a good place. It's kind of like in, it, it, it's like Peter in Matthew 17, 1 to 11, where we have the, the story of, of the transfiguration, where, where Jesus brings Peter, James, and John up, up to the top of this mountain. And while they're up in the mountain, Jesus is like transfigured, right? Like, he, he starts to glow, and, and then Elijah and Moses show up, and Peter's like, oh my word, this is the best. This is fantastic. I want to stay here forever. Let's build tents. Like, let's, let's build homes. Let's, let's set up places of shelter for, for Jesus and for you know, Elijah and for Moses and, and for us, and we can just hang out in this place. For, like, this is where we want to be, man. This is awesome. And, and we like that. Like, we like those areas of scripture. Like, this is what I want to hear. This is where I want to hang out. This is encouraging for me. This is a building up place for me. But what does Jesus say to Peter? He's like, no. We need to go down off the mountain. We need to get off the mountain. We need to go down back into life, back into reality. We talk about like mountaintop experiences, experiences where we just felt like super fed and super encouraged and often it's like Bible camp or we go to a retreat or we kind of get away for a little while. We go up to the top of the mountain and we hang out and it's just this awesome time of building into us and it's super exciting and we just amp, yeah, I want to hang out here forever. Back in the Old Testament when they had times like this, when they had times of just awesome, like when, when Jacob wrestled with the Lord and he had this just awesome revelation time. How did he celebrate it? He put together like a pile of rocks. He took a bunch of rocks and he stacked them up and it became this monument of this awesome experience that Jacob had with the Lord. He didn't build a house. Right? He didn't build a house. He recognized this wasn't a place that he was going to stay forever. That this wasn't a place that he was going to be forever. But it was good to remember this. It was good to have this as a time of of reflection. It was good to look back on this time in his life and go, that was an amazing time. And I'm going to let that continue to feed into my life. But I didn't build a house and live there. The time wasn't from now till forever. It was a time of, of wonderful immersion in my experience with God and God feeding into our life, but, but it wasn't a place, it wasn't a place that we were gonna live. It wasn't a place to reside. It's a memory to be cherished. 
Because we can't stay on the mountaintops. We have to come down off the mountain. Because life, you know, life gets real. And that's kind of what happens with our psalm this morning. You know, those first, those first like three verses are just, yes, this is great. This is God caring for us, providing for us, taking care of us, encouraging us, enabling us. And then we get to verse four, where we read, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley of the shadow of death. How often, how often do we talk about bad times? How often do we talk about the times that are hard? The times when we suffer, you know, when we fall, when we fail. How many times have you, like, gone up to someone, you know, like, you know, you're just having a conversation, you haven't seen them in a while, you walk up and you're like, hey man, like, how's it going? How are, how are things? What's the standard response? Oh, it's good. It's good. I'm, I'm fine. How's life? Oh, it's good. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. But you know they're not fine. You know, you know that their car broke down that week and they're stressing the repair bill or, or that their relationship is falling apart with, with their significant other or, or their job is stressing them out and they're struggling with how to deal with their overloaded emotions. But we answer, I'm fine. I'm fine. How often, you know, how often have we done that? How often do we do that? Because, you know, we don't really want to get into it. We don't want to acknowledge those emotions. It hurts. We don't want to deal with that hurt, that, that pain. We, we don't want to have to be real. We don't want to have to live in that place where life is falling apart. When things are crazy hard. We just want to push it away. We want to shove it like deep down into that place where we can ignore it, where we can suppress it, that we can pretend that it's not affecting us. Right? Like, I just, I got it way deep down in there. And that's, that's where it's going to stay so that I don't, have to, I don't have to deal with how the hard stuff, how the suffering is affecting me. But David doesn't do that. David doesn't try to stay on the mountaintop. He doesn't try to stay in that wonderful place where he's being fed, where he's being encouraged. He doesn't, he doesn't just talk about the good. He talks about the bad. David talks about his times of struggle. He talks about his time of pain. He talks about his journey through the valley of the shadow of death. And he talks about how he goes through those times. As he is going through those times, God is with him. God does not abandon him. God is with him. Just like God was with the disciples in the storm. Familiar with the story of, of the disciples and the storm? We, we find it in Matthew 8. It's 23 through, through 27 when Jesus and the disciples, they, they get in this boat. Like Jesus is done with people. He's like, I need a break. I'm exhausted. I've been dealing with crowds like all day. I'm getting in a boat. So they all get in a boat and they take it across this, this water. And as they're out in the water, a huge storm comes up. And we're talking about like fishermen here. So like the disciples, they're used to like some rough weather, right? They're used to waves. Like this is their livelihood. This is what they do. They get in boats. They go out of the water. They throw out nets. They're used to some waves. But the disciples are losing their crap. Like they're freaking out. 
The waves are pounding the boat. It's moving. The, the, the Bible tells us they are scared for their lives. And what's Jesus doing during this time? He's sleeping, man. He's tired. Dude's on a cushion in the back of the boat, laid out, sound asleep. The storm is rocking this boat, and Jesus is asleep. And the disciples, they've, they've had it. They can't take it anymore. They go and they, they wake Jesus up. Get up, man. Like, do you not realize what's happening here? Do you not realize what's about to happen to us? We're all going to die. How are you asleep during this time? And how does Jesus respond? He gets up and he says, oh, you of little faith. And he calms the storm and everything settles down. And oftentimes when we look at this passage, what we want to focus on is, is, is how Jesus has the power to calm the storms in our lives. But if we're just focusing on that, then we're missing a key element of the story. And that is that Jesus was with them in the storm. Even though he was asleep, even though it felt like he wasn't there, even though it felt like he didn't have any influence on what was going on, he's in the storm because when he wakes up, he says, oh, you of little faith. Do you not understand who I am? Do you not understand the power that I have? God, Jesus isn't with us to calm all of the storms in our lives. Like that's not the role that he is going to play in our lives. He is with us through the storms in our lives. Just as God was with the disciples in the storm, he is with us in our own storms. And just as he was with David in the dark valleys, so he is with us in our dark valleys. There will be dark valleys. You might be in one right now. As Katie read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5 this morning, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. I don't know you know, I don't know what your valley is. I don't know where you're at in your journey, but I do know that God promises to be with us as we go through those valleys, those journeys, those, those hard times. As we go through the storms, we do not go through them alone. Though it may seem that God is asleep, though it may seem that Jesus is not there, he is with us. He is our comfort. And he comforts us that we might also be able to comfort others. Our passage today tells us that, that we also don't face our enemies alone. That can be part of like our struggle, right? Like sometimes we just feel like we're just being assaulted from, from all these different directions. And you know, when we talk about enemies, I'm, we're not talking about like Janice from the fourth grade who kept stealing our lunch money or, or Ronnie from accounting or, or that neighbor who likes to play like the loud music with, with all the parties like late into the night and, and keeps waking up the baby or the dog or us as, as we've got to like get up in the morning. Like that's not our enemy. 
People aren't our enemies. God is calling us to witness, to be part of his mission to Janice, Ronnie, and that crazy neighbor with the the really nice bass system in the house. Ephesians tells us that our enemies are sin, death, and the devil, spiritual forces. And as we fight the good fight against the spiritual attack that we live in our lives, you know, God, God is with us. He's preparing a banquet for us. He's nurturing us, strengthening us, being our strength as we fight the good fight of faith. Which brings us to the last verse in our psalm this morning, which starts with the line, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy will follow me. Follow me. Now when you think of follow, like what do we think of? Typically, like, I'm the oldest of eight kids, and so when I think of follow, I think of, like, my little sisters, like, tagging along. Everywhere I go, you know, they're just kind of like, this is, you know, we want to go and follow Daniel with his friends because they're a thing, and that's what we want to do. And so it's just kind of this, like, like... Tagging along. So I'm kind of leading, and then, and then they're just kind of coming along after me. Like when, when we think of someone following us, when we think of something like coming after us, we think of us leading and them following. And that's it's kind of what I think of when I read like the word follow in this passage, that as I'm like making my way through life, as I'm going, goodness and mercy, like the goodness and mercy of God, are just kind of tagging along with me as I go. As I do my thing, as I blaze my trail, they're just kind of like right there along, along with me. But when we look at the Hebrew, that isn't really what this verse is saying. The word that is translated follow in this passage is the same word that the Old Testament translates as pursue. To chase down. Or to hunt. Like a lion chases a zebra. Daniel Emery Price, in his devotional on this passage, writes, We know David had some days of pretty incredible victory, and he had some days of pretty incredible defeat. He had days of humbling obedience and days of impassioned sin. He had days of meditation on the word of God and days of running, wandering, and even brazen unrepentance. But he makes no distinction between any of these days when speaking to this relentless goodness and mercy of God. Their unstoppable hounding that has been the constant through all the days of his life. And so it is with us. Who we are and what we have done does not affect the pursuit of God's goodness and mercy. Though our guilt and our pain and our treachery and our sin stare us in the face and are a burden about our neck and shoulders and though we run, though we run, you know, as far and as fast as we can. I'm done with this. I'm out of here. God's goodness and mercy chase after us. They pursue us like a lion chases a zebra. God loves you so much. He loves you so much. And he pursues you recklessly that he might restore you. That he might bring you into the family. That you might be strengthened in your position in the family. Price continues in his 
study on this passage by saying, Psalm 23 tells us that we have nothing to fear. Even when we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death, our great shepherd goes with us, and those rapidly approaching footsteps you hear are not those of the devil coming to do you in. They belong to the holy hunter, and they are known as the goodness and mercy of God. What an image! What an image at the end of this passage of how God is pursuing us, not not tagging along as we blaze the trail, but as we run from him in our sinfulness, as we try to escape him in some ways, as as that sinful nature that we have is rebelling against God and, and pulling us away. He is chasing after us, pursuing us. That he might bless us, that he might love us, that he might bring us back into the family, that he might love on us. You know, I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know the circumstances in your life, but I know this. I know that God loves you, that he desires to restore you, that he is with you as you go through hard times and that he protects and nurtures you as you do battle with the enemy. And I want you to know that no matter how hard you may be running from him right now, that he's chasing after you, that he longs to bless you, that his goodness and mercy are pursuing you and calling you back into relationship, into restoration with him and he will never give up for he wants you to live with him in his house forever what an amazing wonderful God we serve amen